0: Good morning, loved ones. Morning. To be in a nice cool church building where we gather together and not in the scorching sun trying to sell paintings like <laughs> Dick is doing. So anyways, uh please open your bibles. This is going to be a uh, a little bit different for you all probably because I'm probably going to have you turn in your Bibles or on your phone to Scripture so this is uh, probably one reason we should have a Bible in our hand is when technical difficulties go down you can look at the Scriptures and be sure that I am not lying to you is what we can do so um, I'm going to Have you guys open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Because I think we'll spend most of our time in Romans chapter 8. My goal is to finish the doctrines of grace. And then preach through the solas. If you haven't known what the solas is. To preach through the solas. And then Lord willing start a new book, hopefully Romans itself, so um, let's go ahead and pray and then we will get started. Father, we thank you that we can come into your presence as your children, as your blood-bought children, Father, that you have called to yourself, Father, we thank you for your mercy on us we thank you for your grace lord that is irresistible father we thank you that you draw us with cords of loving kindness and we see your steadfast love for us in our daily walk so father i pray that we would worship you today that you were worthy of all of our praise and that we would glorify your name in all of our deeds that we do and the things that we say father i too pray for those that are here lord that are that are saddened lord i pray that you would bring them comfort that only you can bring that they would feel your all-powerful gracious compassionate arms around them lord i pray For those that need healing, physically, emotionally, spiritually, that you would do these things, Father. Thank you, Father, for healing that is taking place in elbows and knees and backs and emotions. And Lord, I just pray now that you would accompany the preaching of your word and that you would be glorified in it. In your name, amen. So we've seen through the last few weeks certain areas of our salvation that we have a glorious salvation, right? And so we've seen parts of our salvation. We've seen the part that we bring to our salvation, which is radical depravity. This is what we bring to it. We bring the dead corpse. We bring the body that is dead and has no life in it. So essentially, when it comes to our salvation, we bring nothing to the table because we can bring nothing to the table. So we see that we need God to intervene in our lives. So we see, first of all, what God does is he elects, he appoints, he chooses in his sovereignty. He has a sovereign love that he has a remnant of his people that he chooses to save we see in that saving work that Christ is the one who does the atoning work we do nothing to atone for our own sin this is what Christ does and he dies for a particular people he redeems he reconciles us to God that's what Christ's work does so now where does the Holy Spirit come into play here And that's what we'll look at today. The Holy Spirit is responsible for the effectual call. The effectual call. And so there's two calls that we see in Scripture. The first call that we see in Scripture is called the general call. This is the general call. It is an external call, it is a general call, and it is a universal call. This is the gospel that is to be preached. We see that Jesus says it this way. In John 7:37, you just got to listen now. On the last day of the feast, the great day Jesus stood up and cried out, "If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink." This is a general call. He says it again in Matthew, "Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest." This is a general call. This is a universal call. This is a call to everybody. John the Baptist puts it this way. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. This is a general call for all men everywhere to repent. This is the Billy Graham crusades. When Billy Graham put the message out, it was a general call for all men everywhere to repent to repent this is the first call that we see in the Bible is a general call this is what you and I are to do it is a general universal and external call we are to call people to repentance we are not to save people we are not to say I saved that person No, we do no saving work at all. But we are the ones who are to put out the call to repent. That's the general call. The second call we see in scripture is the effectual call. The effectual call. Now this call is internal and it's specific and it's effectual this is the call of God to you this is when your phone rings and you look at caller ID and it says God you did not call on him you did not pick up the phone to call him but he calls you to himself that's what he does this is the effectual call this is the work of the Holy Spirit this is the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit is the effectual call we see this most clearly put a finger in Romans 8 and go to John chapter 11 because we see this clearly in in Lazarus right? we see this clearly in Lazarus so if we look at Lazarus When Jesus in John 11, Lazarus is sick, Lazarus dies, and Jesus waits to go to see Lazarus, right? So when Jesus gets there and he sees Martha and Mary, Lazarus has been dead for four days, right? That four days is crucial so that the Jews knew that he was dead, right? So by this time, we see that Lazarus in the tomb, he's what? What is he? He's dead, right? He's dead. He's not moving. He's not responding. He's not doing nothing. Lazarus is dead. This is crucial that you follow me on this. Lazarus is completely dead. He is a corpse. So that means Lazarus, as he lays there, has no hope. That means Lazarus, as he lays there, is helpless. That means Lazarus, as he lays there, stinks. He is dead. He is dead. George Whitfield says this about us in our estate because that's our same estate before God, brothers and sisters. In our total depravity, we have no hope, we're helpless, we stink, and we're dead. We are just like Lazarus in that tomb. And George Whitfield writes this the sinner's condition is worse than hopeless. In our decaying spiritual state, we stink. We are offensive to God's nostrils. Hopeless. We all have those things that we've went up to and we've smelt and we're like, oh! Right? It's a stench. That's our estate in our depravity before God as we are that corpse. We stink. But here's what happens. Jesus comes along, and he's going to glorify God, right? And he prays to God, and this is what happens, and this is what takes place in John 11:43, if you're there, look at it. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, "Lazarus, come out!" And Lazarus stayed in that grave Until he had the willpower to get up As a dead person and walk out Right Well that's what we believe Right that's what people believe That we have the willpower To get up and come out No Jesus The author of life The creator of all Tells Lazarus to come out And Lazarus does what? He comes out that's the effectual call God says to you repent and believe and come to me and you do because it's the effectual call apart from these three actions God electing Christ atoning and the Holy Spirit calling there would be no hope for anyone we would all be dead and headed to hell. The Holy Spirit has an effectual call. Now, go back to Romans chapter 8. Go back to Romans chapter 8. So what's the result of this call? How do I know I'm the elect? How do I know I'm chosen, right? That's a good question to ask. How do I know this is me? Well, first of all, we've got to look at where your desires are. Are your desires for the things of God? Do you love the things of God and hate the things of God? Those are good affections to have. That would be how we know we are elect. Peter says that we need to make sure that our election is sure. How are your desires? Where's your affections? How have they changed? Right? So that's how we can know that we are elect. But what does God do in this calling? How do you know that you're called? We got to look at it from God's standpoint, right? So look at Romans 8. Look at chapter uh look at verse We're going to start in verse uh da, 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 da. Look at verse 28, right? Start there. And read with me. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. So this is what happens in the effectual call, right? This is what happens in the effectual call. The first thing that happens is we have to understand foreknowledge, right? We have to understand foreknowledge. In verse 29, he says this, For those whom he foreknew, those who he foreknew so is this talking about God's omniscience yes it's talking about God's knowledge but what it is not talking about it's not talking about God looking down the corridor of time and seeing who would choose him and so he chose them that's not what this is talking about this verse can be translated for loved that's what it can be translated as this word foreknowledge it means that salvation has its origin in the mind of God and not man, salvation has its origins in the mind of God and not man. God has fixed his affections on certain people to save. This is what it means for him to have this foreknowledge for him to foreknow or to for love. for is before, before and he loved us before. So we have this foreknowledge. So we see that in the mind of God was our salvation. Romans 11:2 puts it this way. God has re- not not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Now Paul's talking about the Jewish. He's talking about this Jewish remnant, right? And we see this. God has not rejected his people he foreknew, who he foreloved. Did you not know what the scripture says of Elijah how he appeals to God against Israel? And Elijah thought he was the only one that was left. But God says, no, I have 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Because of his people, he foreknew. Again, we see in 2 Timothy 2.19, it says this. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. I love this verse. The Lord knows who are his guess what that means you and i don't know who are his that's why we are to go out and preach the gospel we can sit here in this little body here at faith bible and we can say oh yeah the lord has saved to us, save to us, save to save we know that those are his but we don't know if we went down to the meadowood mall which ones are his that's why we preach the gospel and then those that respond to the gospel that's the effectual call Right? Think of the Billy Graham crusade right? You have 50,000 people in a, in a stadium Billy Graham puts out the call To be saved To repent 2,000 come down How come not 50,000? How come only 2,000 heard the voice of God? How come only 2,000 felt the push? How come 2,000 only felt the draw? Because that's the effectual call. Not everybody responds. Only those that God knows are His are the only ones that respond. Those are the ones that the Holy Spirit is doing the regenerating work in. So He foreknew them. The second one we see is predestination. Predestination. Now, should you believe in predestination? The answer is yes. Every one of you in here should believe in predestination. You know why? Because it's in the Bible. That's why you should believe in predestination. Here's what predestination means. To determine one's destiny beforehand. Before you were born, God had your destiny planned he had your salvation planned we read that in Ephesians right before the foundations of the world you were chosen in Christ you were predestined we see it in in verse 5 he predestined us for the adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will not our will. We have to understand our salvation is not brought about by our will because we have no will. We do not have the freedom of our will to choose God. It's all according to His will because He foreknew you and He predestined you to become conformed to the image of His Son and this is according to to his will. Again we see in Ephesians one eleven, in him, this is Christ, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. If you sit here today as a believer, you are predestined to be a believer. You are not smarter than somebody else. It was the effectual call of God. It was God placing his sovereign love, his affections upon you. This is a glorious salvation, brothers and sisters. It is a glorious salvation that is rooted in the work of God and him alone. Third, we see that what? We see the call. So God foreknows, he predestines, and he calls. That's what he does. We see this calling. Back in Romans chapter 8. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. He also called. Now, when we're reading this in Romans, I want us to understand one thing. These words that we're looking at, they're all in the past tense. They're all in the past tense. For you high school kids and you scholars out there, you guys know from English class what the past tense means, right? It means in the past. So what he's saying is that this is already done. God foreknew you, he predestined you, and he called you. this is how paul writes this was already done it was already finished but he called this calling is a is a call he calls you out of your darkness and into his light he was the one that does all the calling romans 8 28 just look above and we know that for those who love god all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose Notice one thing in here. As we know that for those who love God, this is not everyone. This is not every single person on the planet. Not all things are for good for everyone on the planet. But only for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. All things work together for good. Even if they're bad, they're working for good. When we have bad things happening in our lives, brothers and sisters, we have to look at it and sit there and say, yeah, this really sucks. It doesn't feel good. It's not right. I'm a mess. I'm a disaster. I cry myself to sleep every night. But what we have to look at, okay, Lord, how are you changing me with this? How am I becoming more like Christ with this? How are you becoming more gracious with it? How are you becoming more compassionate with it? How are you becoming more gentle with it? Is the situation that you're in, is it so hard that it's hardening you and you're becoming bitter? Or is it softening you to where you're seeding your need for God? You're seeing that need for Him. How do you know you're elect? There you go the hardness is not there you battle the hardness you battle the bitterness you battle those things but you want to remain soft and humble to whatever thing is happening in your life whether it's good or bad that's what we want to do we want to remain soft and sometimes we go through stuff brothers and sisters that is very very difficult very difficult but this is all things working together for those who love God This is what he means. And are called. Are called to God. Again, in Galatians 1 6, it says this I'm astonished that you so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. We are called in the grace of Christ. This effectual call is a gracious call. It is a gracious call. We read about, right? For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's by grace. That call is a gracious call and it is an irresistible call. Listen, I want to tell you guys something. When you're that dead corpse, I want you to understand this. God does not make you a little bit alive for you to make a choice whether you want to live or die. God makes you alive or he doesn't make you alive. He doesn't make you a little alive. He makes you alive You see his grace. You see his mercy. And what do you do? You go to him. This is a glorious salvation. He calls you to himself because you see the extreme amount of love that was poured out at Calvary's cross. Not for your neighbor, but for you. That's what you see this is the call this is the call the effectual call second thessalonians 2:13 and 14 but we ought always to give thanks to God for you brothers beloved by the lord because god chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth to this he called you through our gospel so you may obtain the glory of the lord jesus christ we have to understand that it's god who calls us go back to genesis 3 right let's just go back to genesis 3 adam and eve sin what do they do they they hide god comes into the garden and who calls who's doing the calling god is god's calling adam where are you at where are you at rick where are you at chris where are you at Martin, where are you at? He calls us. That is what he does. He calls us to himself because you want to know what? We're hiding because we know our sin. But he's calling us out of our sin to himself. What a gracious, benevolent, kind, merciful God we serve and we worship. We should be amazed at this call. And it's a specific call to you. Specific call to you. So what happens? God, foreknowledge, he predestines and he calls. And then the Holy Spirit comes in and he regenerates. The Holy Spirit does the regenerating work in us. This is a new birth. You must be born again. You must be born again by water and by the Spirit. The Spirit does the regenerating work. He makes you brand new. This is brand newness, right? The regenerating work. This is why you raise your hand. This is why you walk down the aisle. This is why you say the prayer. Is because the Holy Spirit has already done the regenerating work in you to draw you to God. And it's an irresistible, gracious call that you go. That's what he does. Listen to John 1, 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. The reason we respond is because God has created a rebirth in us. The Holy Spirit is doing the regenerating work, so we respond. Therefore, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We are brand new. The old is gone. Your old ways are gone. Your old habits are gone. Your old affections are gone. And everything is new does it mean we don't struggle with the old stuff oh yeah we struggle with the old stuff I'll be the first one to admit it if you want to sit down with me and have dinner I'll be more than happy to tell you the old stuff that I battle with but my affections are new towards God the Christian life is a battle brothers and sisters look at it before you were born again there was no battle in your heart for anything it's when the Holy Spirit enters your life, that's when the battle happens. That's when it takes place. That's when you have the target on your back that Satan is after. As when you are born again. Because you are new creation. New everything, brand new. Titus 3.5 says this, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration, there's our word, and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit does the regenerating work. So now, God calls, Holy Spirit regenerates. What do you and I do? This comes down to what we do now, right? What do you and I do? We repent and believe. We repent and believe. But we always have to understand that even our repentance is a gift. Our faith is a gift, right? We have faith, therefore we repent of our sin. But this is what we do. We repent of our sins. Romans 2, 4 says this, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? This is what it is. We see His goodness. We see His kindness. We see His gentleness. We see His mercy. We hear His calling. This is what leads us to repent. This is why we repent. Now, what's repentance? You might be sitting there going, Mark, what the heck is repentance? Repentance is turning away from your sin and turning to God. Repent of your sin. God grants you the faith and he gives you the gift to repent of your sin and turn to him. Again in 2 Corinthians 7.10 he says this, for godly grief, notice this, for godly grief, not earthly grief, not human grief, but godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief Produces death, So there's a difference. There's a godly grief and there's a worldly grief. Sure, as a worldly grief, we can be sorry for something we did. We can be grieved that we wronged somebody. But a godly grief understands this, that the wrong is against God. And that is what produces salvation without regret. No regrets. I hope nobody sitting in here that's a believer sits here and says, Man, I am really really bummed that I walked down that aisle and Jesus saved me. No, it's a godly repentance that has no regret. No regrets at all. We rejoice in this fact that God has given us the gift to repent in faith. So then secondly, we go back to what God does. So God not only Foreknew you, he not only predestined you, he not only called you, but he does the work of justification in you. Justification in you. Look at Romans again. Look at Romans again. I'm going to go over a little bit, so just hang tight. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he justified. Now we know what justification is. Justification is that we're not guilty. We're righteous in God, right? We're righteous in Christ. We have a right standing with God before we didn't have a right standing with God before we stink now we smell good because why because we have the aroma of Christ we are justified he has declared you and I not guilty the gavel has hit not guilty because of Christ's work that's what's taken place so what happens Romans 3:24 and are justified by his grace as a gift. So we see that our justification is a gift that gives us peace with God, Romans 5, one. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God, Romans 5.19. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, that's Adam, so by one man's obedience, Christ, the many will be made righteous or justified, that's us. So we see God does the justifying work, We do not justify ourselves. God declares us righteous. He declares us righteous. Secondly, we have the adoption. We're adopted into his family. We've been brought into the family of God. Right? Adoption is a crazy thing, right? Adoption, if you go to an orphanage and there's 100 kids, are you adopting them all? probably not some parents might want to leave their kids at the orphanage but we're not adopting them all right no we're adopting the one that we do what that we set our affection on we didn't set our affections on all of them but we set our affections when we adopt a child on that child That's what God does, brothers and sisters. He sets his affection on you and I. Not all, but one. I love all the kids in my neighborhood. But I'm only tucking two kids in at night. That's effectual call. That's sovereign love. That's electing love. This is what he does We're adopted into his kingdom Galatians 4, 6, and 7 And because you are sons God has sent the spirit of his son Into our hearts crying Abba Father So you are no longer a slave But a son and if a son Then an heir through God We are heirs of the kingdom We are adopted We are adopted into his family Where we come into the throne room And now we say Abba Father That's what Romans 8 tells us So not only does he justify and he adopts, but the sanctification process is finished. We are sanctified in Christ. We have been made holy. We've been made righteous. Two types of sanctification, a definitive and a progressive. Let's look at the definitive real quick. 1 Corinthians 1, 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ, those made holy in Christ, that's what sanctification is. We are made holy in Christ. Christ, We are sanctified. And then we have a uh, Hebrews 10.10 10, where it says this. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. We are completely sanctified. And then 1 Corinthians 6.9-11 describes every one of us. Listen to what it says. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. See if you're in this category. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters. There you are, every one of us. Right there. So don't think you're not in here. Nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. You and I, brothers and sisters, are in that category. And God says that we will not inherit the kingdom of God. But listen to what happens. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. That's what we were. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the Spirit of God. We are sanctified. But we have a progressive sanctification, right? This is us pursuing holiness. Us pursuing holiness. This is us doing the work. This is us putting to death the deeds of the flesh. This is us not letting sin rule in our hearts. This is where we got to fight. We have to put on the gloves. We have to box. We have to fight. We have to fight sin. Philippians 2:12 Therefore my brothers, beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now only not only in my presence but much more in my absence Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That is the command. We are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But Paul says it this way also. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Our working is God doing the work. But we are to work. We are to pursue holiness. Why? Because we are sanctified because we are justified. And finally, brothers and sisters, look again at Romans 8.30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. He also glorified. Romans 9.21. Has the potter no right over the clay to make one out of the same lump, one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? That he prepared beforehand for glory. Romans 9 is a very difficult chapter because it talks about election. It talks about God loving Jacob and hating Esau. It talks about it doesn't matter who you are. It depends not on man, but on God who has mercy. So the argument comes up, well, that's not fair, Paul. And then Paul says, has not the potter, has not the potter the right to do what he wants to do with the clay? And he says, out of one lump, God makes a a vessel for wrath, and a vessel for glory. That's what he does. That's what he does. If you have a problem with that, take it up with God, not with me, because that's what the scripture tells us. Does the potter, does the clay talk back to the potter? I was down at the the thing, at the whatever the thing is, the crafty thing majiggy, the R-Town thing, and there's a young man out there that has all these... Pottery out there. And it's beautiful pottery. And he makes the pottery. And I can only imagine that pottery, when he's making that pottery and he's putting that handle on that coffee cup. I can only imagine that 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 piece of pottery that that the handle goes on, that pottery looking at him and saying, No, 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 no. Not on this part. Somewhere else. No. That clay? does not talk back to the person forming it. That's exactly what Paul is saying. The clay does not talk back to the potter. Brothers and sisters, we are the clay. God is the potter. He makes vessels for wrath, and he makes vessels for glory. Brothers and sisters, praise him that he has called you to be a vessel of glory. And glorification waits for you and I. But Paul doesn't say it waits for us. He says it's already there that we are glorified. And finally in Philippians 1, 4, 5, and 6. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this. I am confident of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. When Jesus returns, brothers and sisters, our salvation is complete. But until he comes, glory and marvel and rejoice that God foreknew you. Rejoice that he predestined you rejoice that he has called you, regenerated you, given you the gift to repent, giving you the gift of faith that you may know that you've been declared justice, that you've been declared just and you are righteous, that you are made holy, that you are sanctified in his sight, and that you are headed for glory. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for such a great salvation. We praise you now, Lord, for a glorious salvation we have. May these verses sink deep into our hearts, Lord. And Father, may if any here, Lord, are not yours, that they would hear you calling them to you, that you would draw them to you, Lord, that they would see your love for them on the cross, that they would see that Jesus... Has taken their sin and removed it as far as the east is from the west. Lord, draw them to you, call them to you, that we would rejoice in this very thing. In your name, amen.